I think for a long time, people have been saying, oh, technology is going to disrupt work. And it has. I mean, mm. you've, you spend time and I've spent time around a lot of folks in manufacturing. Technology and automation has been impacting that industry significantly. For it's, That's not new. But I think now this is hitting a scale and a speed that is going to change things. And now it's creeping into the knowledge work. Yeah at a space that people are going, wait, wait, wait. So what does this mean for my job? And you're going like, actually a lot, like a lot is going to be disrupted at a speed that I don't think most people were prepared for. Hi, and welcome to Helping People Perform, the podcast that gives you fascinating insights into those people whose chosen vocation is to help others perform at their best. From consultants to teachers, sports coaches to financial advisors, all of my guests share a passion for getting the most out of individuals, teams, and organizations. Enjoy the episode. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Helping People Perform podcast. Uh, today, I'm delighted to be joined by uh, husband, father of seven, would you believe it, uh, but yeah. also digital first people problem solver and chief learning of officer, <laughs> apologies, at ChenMed. Not only that, hosts his own podcast, the Learning Tech Talks podcast. I don't know how you find time for all of this, but you found time <laughs> for this today. Uh, so welcome to the show, Christopher Lind. Yeah, well, thanks so much, Paul. I'm looking forward to it. Our chats have been uh, fruitful up to this point. So I'm looking forward this time we actually get to record it and hopefully yeah. somebody else will benefit from it. Exactly. And I'm sure there's some amazing stuff that uh, you've got to share with us. Um, maybe just to start with, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself in terms of what's got you to where you are today. Oh man, that's a big one. Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny what's got me where I am today. I would say, you know, some of it has just been holding things with an open hand. I mean, early in my career, I think I had you know, this real idea of like, this is how it's going to go. Right. <laughs> and then, you know, the saying like man plans, God laughs. That's kind of been my experience. It's like, <laughs> this is what I'm going to do. And then it's like, well, it didn't quite go like that. So I guess I'll just see where things go next and be really open to exploring the possibilities. But um, have always been, I say I've been at the center of people, business, and tech. Right. And that's just really been my focus. And that's opened up lots of different opportunities that I never expected in my career. Yeah. And so what are some of the um, the places you've worked at over the years or some of the roles that you've had? Uh, so I, you know, got my start in telecom and then I worked in some small healthcare companies, but then the ones that people may recognize, I jumped from higher education. I ran a global organization for AbbVie Pharmaceuticals. So a big fortune 50 company, something like that. And, uh, ran the global organization there and then, um, decided to move on to GE, which another brand that most people are very familiar with yeah. ran learning and innovation for GE, the healthcare division. Um, and so it was just one of those, you know, didn't really know what that next move looked like, but it just continued to expand. And I knew I loved leading people and disrupting things in organizations that aren't always super excited to change and disrupt. And to me, that was a, a welcome challenge. Oh, wonderful. And so what, what got you into that space in the first place then? Was it always something you wanted to get in the people side or you want to get in the tech side? Um, you know, it's interesting early on. I was a total computer geek back in the days of, you know, early Pentiums and all that. And everybody thought, yeah, he's going to go be into software or something like that. 
And so that's where I was pushed, go into software. I was going to be a software engineer. And I really found computers to be rather boring, boring and predictable. It was like, well, if I put this in one plus one always equals two type right. of a thing is like, eh. but people were really, really fascinating because sometimes one plus one equaled two hmm. and sometimes it just it equaled five. <laughs> and you're like, how does that happen type of a thing? And so I had a fascination with that, but also on the tech side. And so people were like, you know what you should do? You should be a teacher. Okay, I get. I, I think people didn't really know what to do with me at that yeah. point. So I ended up being a middle school teacher and I taught math and computers, I guess, mm. and hated it. <laughs> Absolutely hated it. But then I found my way into the corporate sector and people just kind of noticed. They're like, you you have a way with like steering human behavior, but you always bring this tech lens to it. I was like, I don't know. I don't know what that is. People we were like, well, why don't you get into learning and development? And I had no idea what that was, but here I am almost 20 years later, and that's what I've been doing. Wonderful. Um, yeah. What are some of the, the sort of highlights or, or main points of transition that uh, have stuck out from those 20 plus years of experience? Then? Um, so very early in my career when I was doing software implementation, this was probably when I did some, like, got a flavor for disruption and went, ooh, like, I like this yeah. <laughs> because in software back in the day, the way you implemented healthcare software, I mean, there just was no other way around. You went in and you sat and you spent weeks mm. in these big health systems, teaching everybody how to use this stuff. And they hated it. They're like, right. this is awful. I didn't get into this to work behind a computer. And I loved helping them see how technology was actually allowing them to do that more. But furthermore, I went, this is really stupid that I'm here. Like, yeah. why do I have to be here? And at the time it was like, well, how would you do it other than that? And I'm like, well, why couldn't I be at home on the other side of a computer monitoring what you're doing and tapping into you in real time? And at the time it was just one of these, how on earth would that ever work? <laughs> and to me, it made so much sense. Yeah. And so I got into it and I went, oh, wow, this is like really an opportunity to help people do things. So that was one. I think the other one was I was interviewing for a job as an experienced designer. And the person said, we actually think you'd be better at leading the team than working on it. And I remember going, no, <laughs> no, I don't want to do this people management. I really thought not, that's not my jam. I like doing my thing. I don't right. want to be responsible for other people. Mm. But this leader convinced me of it. They said, I mean, it didn't hurt. They're like, it's a bigger paycheck, by the way, too. I'm like, oh, okay, like maybe. But they really said, I think you'd be good at leading people. And um, I, it turns out I did. I was like, wow, I like, I'm actually, I, I enjoy leading others and inspiring them and bringing the best out of them. So that was kind of a pivotal moment. Mm. And then I think as I stepped into the global scale, I realized how much of a fishbowl we often live in. And you don't even realize you're living in a fishbowl. And so as I started working in global organizations and understanding the different cultures and the dynamics of the way work got done and how much similarity there was, yet how much difference there was too, and going, ooh, okay, like this is this is really it. So all of those things just kind of continued to build. Yeah. Um, and then ultimately that's, I think what led to my industry work where I was like, well, who says I have to do this for one company? Why can't I just change 
the world. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Why not indeed? Why not? <laughs> Brilliant. And and um, and somewhere in amongst all that you've uh, you've managed to have seven kids as well. I mean, that, as you say, always a talking point. Yeah. I know. Well, which is really funny because when my wife and I first got married, we weren't like we it, we're like I don't know that we even want to do the kids thing. Right. You know, kind of like being a people leader. I'm like, I've seen this play out. I don't know that that's really my thing. Um and without being in too much detail, like we shouldn't have seven kids. So it's one of those like, Oh, okay. I guess we have seven now. (laughs) Um, And so it's just continued to be a journey of discovering new and fun adventures along the way. Yeah. No, it's a, it it is an amazing adventure and and you never know what you're going to get. And it takes you in all sorts of different directions all the time. Um, I I know (laughs) that's why I don't have any hair. (laughs) Yeah. I'll I'll be growing gray next. Next thing. But uh, one of the things I noted down there, because I've experienced this with others as well, this whole bit about moving people from technical expertise into leadership roles. And it, you know, when it works, it really works. But a lot of organizations traditionally are set up so that you get the experience, you become an expert technically in your area. And then the only next step is to become a people leader of those people. Um, yeah. what's, what's your general thoughts in, in that space as to, is that the right way to go? With other, no, other... <laughs> it's, it's a huge miss. It's right. a huge miss. In fact, it's funny. I was on another podcast we were recording this morning that we dove, the whole thing was just on this topic. Right. Um, because to me, this is one of the fundamental flaws in why we see such systemic leadership problems mm. in organizations is there's just this assumption that moving into a people leader role is what you do, yeah. you know, if you want to grow in your career, well, then that's what you got to do. You got to go take on people leadership. And um, it's not that it can't work, but there is a very different pathway mm. for being a really successful people leader and being a really successful individual contributor or leader in other capacities. And I think the unfortunate part is, is we've set things up to seem like one is a better choice or a more, you know, meaningful choice than the other. And I just think it's, it's tragic because a lot of people go into it that they just don't want to be there in the first place, but they feel they have no choice but to be. Yeah. And I've, I've seen personal friends of mine go through that where it's the only option for them to step up is to take that leadership or or people leadership role. And it just simply isn't for them. And and is cost them a lot emotionally and and, yeah. and and um and cost the organization a lot because they weren't getting the best Tons. out of any of the individuals either no they have, right because now not only do you have the leader that's not operating at their full capacity but the whole team then yeah is now sacked and i think um you know to the point you made this is part of why i love being in learning and development is there is this persistent belief that that is the only path yeah and i love helping shape people's trajectory to go actually no it's not yeah. like it's a false dichotomy you you actually don't have to take that path and when people the light bulb goes on they're like wait a minute you're saying i can have the same kind of like influence success and all this other stuff and i don't have to be a people leader it's like yeah like you can it's yeah. it's a different path and a different way of thinking but it's there yeah and there's all sorts of different ways that you can do that. I mean, one from my experience in the McLaren days, for instance, they put up a, a new role that they called chief engineer, which was in, in amongst the, the part that um, I was dealing with the McLaren applied technology side. 
it was essentially it was an opportunity to step up from being an amazingly good engineer or technical expert in a lot of the simulation and modeling teams and things like that yeah and able to set up so that you um the beauty that I found of, of that role was it then oversaw all the different projects from a, a technical expertise perspective. And yeah. it just added layers of value, layers of um, cross-learning and cross-functional, cross-project learning um, by exposing these people. That it, it has its disadvantages, has its, had its issues as well, but there are ways and means out of this as opposed to the traditional approach on it. No, and I remember it was probably mid-career for me. I worked with an organization and I was in a position to influence the decision where we said, we actually in this organization are going to take a gamble and we're going to make equal but different paths for people who want to go people leader and people who don't. Brilliant. And we we kind of, I, I just, <laughs> I kind of bet my job on it. I'm yeah. like, I'm telling you this is going to work and it's going to help. And they took me up on it. And so we re-architected our job taxonomies in the organizations to allow, to allow for that. And almost, I won't say overnight, but very quickly, well over half of our leadership problems just disappeared. Yeah. When suddenly it was like, no, people leaders are for people who want to be people leaders and people who don't, don't have to. And it was like, oh, and I mean, the number of people who raised their hand and were like, can I not, can I not be a people leader? Yeah. <laughs> You're like, yeah, yeah, sure. We'll move you over here type of a thing. It was amazing. Wonderful. I, I love that because I just love those elements of shaking things up, shaking up the uh, traditional thinking and just going, there is a better way for better performance for everyone and experience yeah. for everyone throughout this as well. Aren't there? Yep. Totally agree. Yeah. Brilliant. I don't like the idea that you have to choose between, do we choose people mm. or do we choose organizational performance? Yeah. Like, well, I, you don't have to. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you could choose both. Like, that's the thing. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. So um, maybe let's talk a little bit about what you do now then in terms of um, yeah. who you help and how you help them. So tell us about your, the roles that you play in, in that space. So in my, you know, in my chief learning officer job, I have responsibility for all of the um, development for all the employees across the organization, which includes kind of if people aren't as familiar with the talent space, it's, right. you know, identifying capabilities and competencies. And then actually what are the different ways you can actually grow and develop that kind of stuff? And how do we measure and mobilize and help people find the right career stuff, which is super fun. Mm. Um, the organization grew, I've been here two years, it's grown from 1500 people to 6,000 wow. in two years, which has been just an insane trajectory of trying to navigate the organization maturing right. at that speed with that many new people in the organization. So that's actually been a really, really fun challenge and kind of setting this up, you know, to drive the organization forward. Um, but then I think on a broader scale, part of the reason I do so much work in the industry is this is a real opportunity for so many people right now as they look at their employee base and they're looking at what they need to do as a company and how do they match their employees to that and figure out good grief. Yeah. <laughs> we have all these needs, we have all these people, but we can't figure out how to make the dots connect. And right. so then, you know, a couple of years ago, everybody was trying to go higher, but it was way too expensive and you couldn't keep up and there weren't enough people. Now the market's balanced a little bit, but with you know, people not having as many kids, I'm an exception to that rule. 
the number of jobs compared to the number of people coming into the workforce and just the way that technology is changing work, companies are in crisis right now. Mm -hmm. In many regards, they're in crisis. And so it's a, it's a fun time to be a voice trying to help with that. Right. And um, what are the things, the big things that you see at the moment, certainly from that tech space or the industry space that are either the massive opportunities or the big threats or the things that are, yeah. are coming to, to disrupt? Um, I will say right now, and this isn't just because it's, you know, trend worthy type of a thing. Generative AI right now is we're on the verge of something. Well, and so I've been involved in that space for several years now. So people are acting like, oh, this is such a new thing. It's like, well, it's actually not new. It's been building for a while, but now it's hit the main stage. Mm. And this advanced AI is putting people and organizations in a really uncomfortable position because they're being faced with a choice that they may not even realize they're being faced with. And the benefits or the consequences of that choice are significant right now. And I'm seeing a lot of people just charge down a path going, we'll just figure it out later. Mm. <laughs> and it's not something you want to just go figure out later. But then I've got other folks who are like, well, we're just going to avoid it. And it's like, don't do that either. Like that's at your peril. I mean, it is serious right now. Yeah. Yeah, there's so much um, coming. Everyone that I've been speaking to in various different industries and various different sectors, even you know everything from you know the, the people side, the training element, all the way through to um, some of the manufacturing uh, people that I've been interacting with as well. You know, it's all it's it's an opportunity um, for everyone to uh, that you've got to get on on board with in some way or other, haven't you? And understand how it's going to affect your organization, how it's going to affect your people, and what are you going to do about it from here? You you have to, because I think for a long time, people have been saying, oh, technology is going to disrupt work. And it has. I mean, mm. you've, you spend time, and I've spent time around a lot of folks in manufacturing. Technology and automation has been impacting that industry significantly. For it's, That's not new. But I think now this is hitting a scale and a speed that is going to change things. And now it's creeping into the knowledge work yeah. at a space that people are going, wait, wait, wait. So what does this mean for my job? And you're going like, actually a lot, yeah. like a lot is going to be disrupted at a speed that I don't think most people were prepared for. Yeah. And so the industry work that you do, I mean, one question is how do you find time for that? Um, you've got a full-time role as a chief learning officer. That's no small feat in, in and of itself, no. but you, you do so much outside of that as well. How do you find time for that? Or or, or do you take a different view in terms of can't um, afford not to? <laughs> yeah, no. So some of it is I'm pretty, I'm pretty selective. Right. So, you know, I think, would it be different? I, when I was, when I was at GE and was planning on leaving GE, I was going to do this full time. Hmm. And so I think it would have been a little different then if this was my full time focus area. Um, given the fact that I have a, a big family and a lot of other full time commitments, um, I'm very selective in what I do. And I also find ways where I can have the biggest impact. Right. You know, so there are times where, you know, depending on different projects or different even technology companies that I'll partner with where I go, you know, if I work with them, 
I can actually influence right. like at a much larger scale than if I go into this very specific project in this very narrow niche of an organization where it's like, well, that I, I kind of tend to be careful with how deep I go into. So again, I think it's just more the selection process and the intentionality I put behind it. Right. No, it's a, it's an important lesson to learn really, isn't it? About what you say no to and how you are clear in your own mind as to what you're going to say yes to and why. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a big challenge. Well, and, yeah. and the thing is I grew up in a funeral home, right? So I was faced with mortality far more than most people are. So most people don't think about death. Yeah. I thought about death all the time mm. and still do just, and not in a weird, creepy, like really serious. <laughs> and it's like, no, I'm just keenly aware of the fact that tomorrow's not guaranteed. So putting that thought into, okay, is what I'm investing my time and energy into, mm. you know, if I was gone next week, would I feel that that was a worthwhile investment of that time that I had? Right. Um, and I think it's just a good cross check to go, mm, yeah, because it is easy in life to get spun up on things. And then you, then you look back later and go like, why did I, why did I care so much about it? <laughs> <laughs> brilliant no i mean yeah. i mean you glossed over that in your in in the first section that you grew up in a in a funeral a funeral home or a care home was it yeah. no both my both my well my dad was a funeral director growing up and then uh he got remarried and he married another funeral director so i actually lived in a funeral home grew up helping my dad you know with everything there is to be done in funerals um and they still have a funeral home up there so i still I, it's very much part of my life still yeah Oh, I've got some good, uh, good friends and, and their family who have got a long tradition, family tradition of, of working in uh, the funeral industry and particularly in gravestones and things like that. But yep. it's, uh, it's one that comes to us all and, and one that an industry that's, uh, that's kept on going for a number of years. And I doubt it's, uh, it's going to be much different going forward, although probably going to be affected by AI in, in one way or another. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's actually kind of funny because um, they, I, my dad and family, they all know him, this you know, tech geek doing all this crazy stuff. So, but I, I work with them sometimes on stuff like when the pandemic hit. Yeah. You know, they're like, okay, tech wizard, like, what do we do about this now? Cause right. now we can't do things the way that we used to do. And it was like, all right, well, then let's talk about this and mm -hmm. I'll help you figure out how you actually adapt your business right. to work in this environment. And so it was actually kind of fun actually going back and helping them think through how they actually brought all that to life. Yeah. No, I, I love that. It's always been a big part of what I do is uh, just helping people think through something that where you're sitting on the outside, it makes such a difference, doesn't it? Just to, to bring a fresh perspective and to challenge their thinking, maybe bring in some different experiences that you've had. I mean, you, you've talked about various different roles and companies that you've worked for. Um, I often compare there's no right or wrong answer, but some people have spent those 20 years in one organization working their way up and, and getting all of that rich experience and deep experience. But there is a different value set to be brought, isn't there, from having a broad experience and uh, and sort of all different sectors and industries and, and things that come along with that. Well, yeah, and I think that's something to be said for even if you're that person, you know, somebody's listening and they're in the organization, there is a way that you can have that same kind of experience, even within the organization you have, you mm. know, I, I just think about it because I deal with it all the time in terms of human development, that you run into the people that have had a 20 year career that is a 20 year rich, robust career, whether that's multiple companies or one companies, one company, and then you talk to people who have a 20 year career, and it's one year 
on repeat 20 times. Right. And there's a distinct difference in mm-hmm. those people who really seize the opportunities that exist in whatever environment they're in. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Um, um, question about you then. How do you help yourself perform? You know, where do you go to to sharpen your own saw or to to make sure you're performing at your best? Yeah, so it was an interesting journey for me doing this because I'm very introverted, typically. Right. Uh, and some people have stereotypes what they think about. They think like introverted people, that means they're socially awkward and they'd rather just live in a basement and extroverted people are, you know, people you want to be around. For me, it was just more fatiguing. Right. So the idea of doing the traditional, you know, I just remember having a mentor early in my career that was like, you have to do this. And they had this checklist. You have to do these things if you're going to be successful in a career. And I just remember looking at every item on the list going, no, <laughs> <laughs> there's just no way. Like I would want to just go to sleep and never wake up if I was literally trying to manage all of that. And so for me, it was looking at, and I spent time with him and others asking like, what is it about that that makes it effective? Right. And hearing from people, you know, what? don't just say networking, like what about networking right. is really important? Well, it's about just talking to people from multiple organizations and getting different points. You're like, oh, okay, okay. And, you know, some of these other things that were typical for a career, you know, well, development. Okay. So take a class. Okay. But why do you take a class? Oh, well, to expose yourself to different. Okay. And so I would just sit and deconstruct all of these different things and then go at the core, what are the real behaviors that you need to do to demonstrate that? So mm-hmm. even before we were going live, yeah, you know, I, sh- I shared with you, I set up virtual coffees with all my LinkedIn connections. Mm-hmm. Why? because I want to get to know them on a personal level and I want to keep myself sharp and hear what other people are doing and, and how they're staying ahead of things. It's how we ended up connecting because I was connected to someone you knew. And I always ask, Hey, is there anyone who, you know, what is really important to me that would be a good person for me to know, not to sell them anything, but literally just to build relationships with. Mm. Um, and then wherever I saw gaps, I just fixed them myself. Right. <laughs> So I was like, I wish I had a community of people that I just had on speed dial that I could pull together and do a think tank if I wanted to. And I kept, I was looking for it for a long time and I could never find it. Mm. And so then I said, okay, fine. Then I'm just going to make one. (laughs) And so I did Mm. like, well, I'll just build my own. Um, So those have been really helpful. I actually use chat GPT a lot for my own personal development, because I use it to challenge my own thinking. So I'll engage in dialogue with it and ask like, what's a you know alternative perspective to this? Or how would somebody from this region of the world or with this kind of experience, how might they think about this topic oh, and what challenges might they see? Yeah. And spend a lot of time just in deep thought. Yeah. Oh, and there's a couple of things, uh, <laughs> amazing stuff in there. One of them that stands out because it, it, a couple of my other uh, guests and, and friends and, and colleagues have, have done this as well, where they haven't, they've been looking for a network, they've been looking for some form of connection or group, and they haven't been able to find it and just go out and create it and make it yourself. 
You know, it's uh, someone yeah. has to. Those things don't exist because uh, they just pop out of uh, thin air. You know, somebody has always taken a, an effort to to go ahead and, and make those things. And you know, it's a, it's something that's open to all of us and becomes yeah. You know, with the technology in particular that we have these days, it's a very easy it is thing so to easy up. to do it. Yeah, right. Like, I mean, the number of times I talk to people, they're like, "I'm just waiting and looking for this," and it's like, "So, what's yeah. stopping you from doing it? Yeah. Like, you can just reach out." Well, what if they say no? <laughs> so then go ask somebody else. Like, I don't know, just keep trying. Yeah. Yeah. And there's um, that wonderful view of experimentation in that world as well, isn't it? You know, maybe you might have one person turn up in the first month and uh, that becomes two or three. And next thing you know, it might might build or, or it might fizzle out. But if you, if you yeah. haven't tried it, you haven't tried something new, then it's never going to work, is it? Exactly. Exactly. Brilliant. Um, so a couple of th- uh, sort of quicker questions now. Um, firstly... If you could help any, well, let's say individual team or organization with the skill set that you've got, who would you want that to be and, and why? Oh, yeah. So if I were to, this is where I, I will be honest. It's I struggle with this one only because this was even one of the things I remember early in my career. People were like, what industry do you want to be with? Or yeah. what company would you work for if you could? And I remember always being like, I don't know that that's the right question for me to be asking. Um, For me, when I look at who I really love helping and who I want to target, it's those decision makers who have that responsibility for large groups of people who are hungry for change. Right. Right. I mean, there's the people who say they want change, but they really don't. Mm -hmm. And then there's the folks that go, no, I actually want to make a difference and not for my own benefit, but for the benefit either of the organization I serve or the people who serve under me. And that is, you know, a lot of times who I end up gravitating towards because I mean, even just in job interviews and things in the past, when I've interviewed, like there's times where I have conversations and I'm like, you actually don't want me. You're you're going to end up you know, not wanting to continue working with me because I don't think you're at that point in your journey. And that's not a knock. It's just, you're not there yet. You haven't quite reached the point where you go, no, I actually, I actually need to make a difference for others. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Uh, I I was talking to somebody the other day about in interviewing and how, you know, particularly in your early start part of your career, it's, it's almost like a I've got to say the right things in order, you know, and do the right things in order to get the job. And it's all about getting the job. And yeah. I don't know when the this the sort of switch hit for me, but it's taking the fact that, you know, as an interview, you're at least fifty percent of that interview. And you know, you're interviewing yeah. the organization. You know, oh, is it the right fit for you? Are they the right people? Um, is the the opportunity there that you want for you to move your career? ahead with you know and, and if they haven't yep. even if the pay's great and the the hours and all that sort of stuff seems great if it if it's not the right fit the ability to say it, this isn't for me thanks uh, but I, you know, even if you're offering me the role thanks but no thanks it's yep. a, a powerful thing in your own mind if nothing else to be able to say i know why i did that yep. and th- that helps me grow and move forward um in my yeah. career anyway mm. well and i think the other thing with that um 
you know, that I would further refine to the, even the original question is like, there's, if you look at the landscape of things, I've been doing some work with um, a couple of companies on analytics in the industry right now. Like there are a few industries that are on the verge of significant disruption. So going back to like where I'm trying to laser target right now is in some of these industries that are extremely vulnerable right now. I have a, I have a heart for the vulnerable and there are some that they're ripe for the pickings and why, why I get so concerned about that is when people are vulnerable and in a tough spot, a lot of times the decisions they make aren't in the best interest of people. Right. It's, and it's not, it's, I don't fall. It's just one of those, you're in a mm-hmm. unstable place and you're just grabbing at whatever you can. And a lot of times it's this mindset of every man for himself, I'm going to step on whoever I need to, to survive. Right. And I hate that because I've seen it absolutely destroy people's lives mm. and going back to what we said earlier in the conversation, it doesn't have to be that way. Mm. And so when I see these organizations that are like on the verge of, you know, Oh no, this is coming and they can sense it. That's like the perfect time to come in and say, so let's think differently so that you don't have to make trade-offs that you're going to regret in a few years. Brilliant. Um, And I'm going to flip the question on its head a little bit in terms of if you were able to sit down have a cup of coffee, have a drink, have a meal with somebody. Uh, and it could be an individual, it could be a team. Um, in order for you to learn, and for, in order for you to just absorb the wisdom and and uh, up your own game, who would you want that to be? So there's the cliche answer that I'll give, and then I'll give a more modern, a modern one if we want, right? Like I would absolutely love to sit down with Jesus of Nazareth and just sit, like just pick his breath. Like I just look at, human history at that time of the Roman empire and what was going on. And some of just the craziness of like, wait, you, you asked people to do what, (laughs) like in the midst of this, it just, to me, just is mind blowing. And so to sit down and go, how did you navigate that? And how did you inspire such a historical change? Like it would just, I could probably spend the rest of eternity with the questions (laughs) that I would have lined up in a completely different league though. Um, in, you know, like on a much smaller scale, I guess, if you compare it to Jesus of Nazareth, (laughs) I was watching a thing and I've always been fascinated with Bill Gates. I just really have always been fascinated with him as an individual. Um, some of the decisions he makes, the way he looks at the world, the way he sees, you know, some of the different things and where Mm. he makes his investments and how he manages things. It's just the guy is clearly brilliant yeah. and he's someone that I could just, and yet at the same time, he'll sit down and eat like a burger from a fast food, right? Yeah. right? So, so this almost paradox of more wealth than most people can imagine in their life yet also so just strangely practical and neighborly mm. in some ways. Um, and some of the experiences you've had, I would pick his brain for quite some time as well. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that'd be a, a great conversation. I'm sure he'd have a lot to learn himself there. <laughs> but, but um Well, and I just even think, right? He was one of those people that saw the tech yeah. where others they didn't. You know, yeah. they just kind of like, I don't know about this. And he went, No, no, I see yeah. exactly that. And um yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. And um um yeah, I, I love the fact with Bill Gates in particular, but a lot of people are like, just how do you manage your time when you were looking at things that at that scale 
and right. often, often in that level of detail as well, you know, involved in things in a, in a big way. It's like, how do you do that without just being completely awash with spend, you know, spending 23 hours right. a day? How just, do you decide what yeah. to say no to? Yeah. And how do you say no, what to say yes to? And mm. yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> um, so if people want to get in contact with you, if people, if people want to find out more, if people want to uh, listen to your, your podcast and things like that, Tell us a little bit more about how people can get in touch or, or find out more about sure. you. So anybody who follows my work, I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. So right. I am very active on LinkedIn, post a lot of stuff. A lot of my research um, and the research I'm involved with is shared through that. So a lot of people are connected to me through that. I also have started doing a lot more with my YouTube channel just because... LinkedIn's not necessarily designed for long form content. Yeah. <laughs> it works for some things and it's great for that. It's not great for long, deep, thoughtful mm. conversations. And so YouTube is where I put a lot more of that content. And then again, a lot of people reach out to me through um through my through my website. They'll find me through Learning Sharks. Um and again, my my podcast, Learning Tech Talks, gets into really the intersection of people, business, and tech. And that's, I use my learning principles, not, they're not mine, but the way I kind of model learning, which is let's just put it where people want to be. So it streams live. Yeah. People can watch it live, but then it also, if you listen to it, you can listen to it where any podcast is, you can watch it on YouTube. You can kind of go um, in whatever fashion yeah. it tickles your fancy. I think that's still <laughs> a thing. <laughs> Wonderful. I'll make sure all of those links are in play. And uh, I'm not sure when the timing's going to work in terms of um, yeah. release of this podcast and or the release of your upcoming book, I believe. Oh, <laughs> look at that. See, I told you backstage, I'm yeah. not, I always am <laughs> uncomfortable with the plug part, but yes. So I, I swore I was never going to write a book. Yeah. And then I woke up in the middle of the night one night and I went, I have to write a book. I know what it's about. It all came and so I spent a good chunk of last year writing the book, and now it's in the process of being published, which anybody who's considering writing a book, let me just tell you, writing the book is probably <laughs> the easiest part. Yeah. Um, and so, yes, but it'll it'll be out here likely sometime this year. It's called Relentless Intention, which gets back to the question of how do you accomplish all the different things that you do. How do you manage that? And that's my kind of two word answer to anybody who asks. Wonderful. Oh, I can't wait for that to come out. I'll be checking that out myself. And depending on when the time is of this, we'll either be giving links to directly to the book or, or we'll, uh, we'll, we'll let you know where to look out for, uh, for future release dates and things like that. But I know you, you were not so willing to plug it yourself. So I thought I'm going to do this for you and make sure, <laughs> make sure the good word gets out. There. You're too kind. Paul. <laughs> Great stuff. So, Christopher, I mean, we could talk for, for hours. I'm sure there's some amazing stuff that you're doing and your expertise and your, your passion for what you do really comes through. Um, so thanks so much for being a guest uh, today. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was an absolute pleasure uh, spending some more time with you. Superb. Thanks, now. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you liked what you heard, then please give the podcast a rate, review and share. I'm Paul Teasdale. And from sausage making to banking, oil and gas to Formula One, I help people perform. If you'd like to find out more and have a conversation, contact me via helpingpeopleperform.com.